Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. So good to be with you today on Mother Miriam Live through the Station of the Cross and LifeSite News. Um, we have a special situation today during our program, and so this has been pre-recorded, but it's not an encore, it's not old news, it's a fresh program for you, which we recorded um, uh, during the week so that we could play it for you on Friday. And... Um, You won't be able to call in with questions today, beloved, but if you have any questions or concerns or things on your heart, you can still email at mother at thestationofthecross.com, and we'll take your questions when we're back on Monday uh, with you live. So this is live, live stream, but pre-recorded for you. So again, it'll be a normal program. Uh, but you won't be able to call in uh, or text or email, or you'll be able to do that, but you really not have those addressed today. So we'll do it on Monday. Um, and, you know, we're thinking about what topic we could um, discuss with you, which when, when you're not able to call in, so we just have a full program for you for the hour. And we've been talking about some abuses in the Mass that people write in about, um, should this happen? Should that happen? What should I do? And um, uh, we, we've an article was sent to me um, by uh, uh, written by Kevin Orlin Johnson, PhD, on the Catholic Answers website. And you know how I love and admire Catholic Answers, Catholic dot com on the web. I was a full time apologist for them, with them for nine solid years, and I left them in 2008 to begin this religious community. So they're very special. I still receive their magazine, Catholic Answers Magazine. Used to be this rock, which started my journey to the Catholic Church. It's Catholic Answers Magazine now. And um, uh, Christopher Check is the head of it, Carl Keating, the founder, and turned it over to Chris. And Chris is um, just a, a dream. He's a, he's, a, he's a saint on earth. And the the uh, staff and the magazine is doing extremely well, very devoted. If you ever want to know of a Catholic website, a Catholic a ministry, blog, podcast, they've got it all now, um, go to Catholic.com, and you can be confident about their answers. Their apologists are tremendous, 100% in, in union with the Magisterium of the Church. And so this article, written by Kevin Johnson, Kevin Orlin Johnson, uh, is titled The Ten Most Common Liturgical Abuses. I'm going to tell you it was written in 1999. That's 20 years ago. That's a long time. But the truth doesn't change, beloved. And the church hasn't changed. The uh, most recent uh, canon law is 1983. So this was written well after that and still holds today. Everything in this article holds today. The Ten Most Common Liturgical Abuses. So if something is happening at your parish that doesn't seem kosher, or you're not sure it should be done, or you think something should be done that's not being done, whatever it is, 
You can look up this article on Catholic.com, the 10 most common liturgical abuses, and it's going to give you support for each one of these. But I predict that some of these, as I'm going to read them to you, are a surprise to some of you. Um, But I'm first going to read the introduction. And it begins, before Vatican II, there were not any surprises when it came to the Mass. The Mass was the Mass. Now, um, uh, now in many parts of the United States, and we're all just talking the United States, I guess, at this point, you will find priests improvising as they go along. Even archbishops issue pastoral letters directing things at odds with liturgical regulations. Now, Catholic Answers is not a radical traditionalist organization. Uh, They have no problem with the Novus Ordo Mass or the Latin Mass. Um, They just are very faithful sons and daughters of the Church. And so if they say that there are priests improvising, it you know that they're improvising. They Catholic Answers has no bone to pick. They just love the church and teach what the church teaches. And so um, <clears throat> this goes on. Uh, as Pope John Paul II noticed, uh, noted rather, in a 1998 ad limina address to the American bishops of the Western states, not all of the changes in the liturgy have always and everywhere been accompanied by the necessary explanation and catechesis. As a result, in some cases, there has been a misunderstanding of the very nature of the liturgy, leading to abuses, polarization, and sometimes even grave scandal. Beloved, again, this is written 20 years ago, but everything liturgically is still the same. Uh, There's not been a new rule of canon law since then. Scandal, um, uh, Dr. Johnson writes, scandal is a word much in the news these days. And again, that's 20 years back. But it does not really mean a shameful or sexual misdemeanor. Scandal in the church's vocabulary means just what it means in the Bible. A stumbling block, something that obstructs a person's way to the faith. That's Matthew chapter 18. <clears throat> when the Mass is presented as something casual, entertaining, or improvisational, the whole point of it disappears. If the priest conducts himself as if Christ were not truly present in the Eucharist, why should the lay people in his parish think the Eucharist means anything? Why should they bother to go to Mass at all? Although census figures report that the church in America is growing, at that point 20 years ago, only 25% of Americans who call themselves Catholic attend Mass regularly, down from 75% before the liturgical forms following Vatican II. Worse, close to two-thirds of American Catholics say they do not believe in the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist, and many of those are among the 25% who still attend Mass. A strong argument can be made that the loss of structure in liturgy 
caused an erosion of faith that in turn dealt a near-mortal blow to the American priesthood. Religious vocations, always sufficient in this country, began dropping off as the new order of the Mass was imposed without the necessary explanation and catechesis. Now again, this is not a traditionalist organization writing this. This is a faithful Catholic organization that accepts both forms of the Mass. But again, if the new order of Mass, there's no such thing as a new Mass, but the new order of Mass was imposed without the necessary explanation and catechesis, now many parish priests, um, many parishes have priests of other nationalities. We have become virtually a missionary country. In an atmosphere of free-form liturgy, oh, beloved, that's an awful description. In an atmosphere of free-form liturgy, I tell you what, if that expression were used under the Mosaic sacrificial system, uh, they would have been put to death and wiped off the earth, because that's what God did with free-form liturgy in the Old Testament. He put those who practiced that to death. Back to the article. In an atmosphere of free-form liturgy, it's up to the laity to know the laws about texts, gestures, the sacred objects used, and the proper conduct of the Mass. To obey those laws and to see that the clergy obeys them too. Of course, it should be the other way around. Of course. But where the clergy go off the rails, where the clergy don't know their faith or decide to do their own thing uh, and dishonor God and cause sacrilege in the Mass, then the faithful should not allow it. We need to know our faith. It is up to us to call our priests back to do reverence when it comes to matters of taste that are not covered by law. I did that once with a priest. He was talking to children at Mass, and he walked before them, offering candy to whoever had correct answers. It was such an abomination that I went to him after Mass, and I went on my knees in tears, and I begged him to be a priest, to be a holy priest, not to degrade children, not to rob them of the faith, not to, for them to think God was some toy that we could play with. It is also important to know the difference between matters of law and matters of taste, because you have to know when you can insist and when you have to persuade. But by and large, the laws binding on all priests are enough to bring back the reverence that is all too often missing. If you question some liturgical practice at your parish, go to your nearest Catholic library or bookstore and have a look at these texts. Now, if you don't have a pencil handy, you could you could listen to... Uh, the podcast, you can go to YouTube and re-listen to the program. You can go on LifeSite News and re-listen to it, Station of the Cross Facebook page, Mother Miriam Live Facebook page, umpteen ways to re-listen to this and to re-watch it live stream if you haven't been able to see that. Um, 
But first, the, uh, the, what's called the GIRM, G-I-R-M, the General Instruction on the Roman Missal. Secondly, the CIC, which stands for Code of Canon Law. Um, and then um, uh, the Ceremonial of Bishops, CR, the Ceremonial, or CB, Ceremonial of Bishops, and the Ceremonies of the Modern Roman Rite, R-I-T-E. The documents on the liturgy from 63 to 79, published by the Liturgical Press in Collegeville, Minnesota, includes many kinds of regulations in a single volume. So does the liturgy documents, a parish resource by liturgy tra- training publications of the Archdiocese of Chicago. Now, I just ran through a bunch of resources, but it's in this article on Catholic.com, the 10 most common liturgical abuses. And the article goes on to say, check the directives from popes and Vatican congregations, particularly the Congregation for Sacraments and Divine Worship. The congregation publishes the answers to questions of interest in a periodical called Notitiae, N-O-T-I-T-A-E. These reinforcements of law are binding on all the faithful, all the faithful, and they go into greater detail than the laws themselves can. But mostly they repeat that the laws must be followed in this and every other instance. <clears throat> Pauline Books and Media publishes many of these documents in inexpensive, inexpensive editions, and if you have a computer, check the Internet. You can easily find the complete text of just about any church document free, including a good many articles from Notitiae, N-O-T-I-T-I-A-E. He says, above all, this is still the introduction, but we're getting to the end. Above all, get a copy of the Order of Mass approved for use in the United States. Unfortunately, it is hard to find the order outside of huge altar books, which are expensive, or missalettes, which aren't always accurate. Um, Pangagius Press in Dallas publishes an afforded, affordable edition of the order. Pangagius, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm uh, poor in pronouncing that. It's P for Peter, P-A-N for Nancy, G A E U. S. Pangeus Press, I'm pronouncing it correctly, in Dallas. Um, when you have the applicable laws, write to the offending priest, citing the law, chapter and verse, and quoting it in full. You see, you're not going to a priest with your own thoughts, your own opinions. You're not saying to him, I can't prove this, but I know it's wrong. Don't waste his time. That's disrespectful. Get the documents and make an appointment with Father, and go as a sheep to the shepherd. Go in humility. Go with a teachable spirit, and say, Father, this has been troubling me, and I, I wanted to look it up so I had the, cor- the correct information, and here it is, Father. Uh, and the, the matter is whether it is legitimate for you to be doing such and such at the Mass, and the, the church documents, dear Father, say it is not. May I give them to you? 
You're just very respectful. Okay, so when you have the applicable laws, write to the offending priest, citing the law, chapter, and verse, quoting it in full. Be objective and charitable. If you can, phrase your concerns as questions. An errant priest simply might not know what he's doing, but whether he's negligent or willful, he might get obstinate or try to save face when his error is pointed out. If you get no satisfaction after a reasonable exchange, repeat your concerns to the priest in writing and send a copy to your bishop. It might end up being a longer um, and less pleasant process than you think. So be prepared to repeat the process and to keep the focus on the exact issue and the exact laws that it violates. Now, this suggests you could go to the priest and maybe even send a copy to the bishop. I personally would rather follow um, our Lord's words in Matthew chapter 18. You first go to the offending person, then you take a witness, then you go to the church. So I would first go to the priest. If the priest won't respond, then I would tell the priest, I'm going to take it to the bishop. So the priest knows that. And you take it to the bishop And you say, Dear Bishop, I've spoken to the priest. I told him I would speak with you. Do it in the right way. If your complaint comes to a successful conclusion, don't crow about it. You have have not won anything. The law has been fulfilled. The blessed sacrament has won. And then he says, Here are the most common abuses that you find in American liturgies today with a few references to the laws that prohibit them. Check out those references, and you'll probably find laws on similar problems in your own parishes. Okay, all of that, beloved. Long introduction um, to get to uh, the 10 most common liturgical abuses, and I'm going to suggest that very few of these will be new or strange to you. Number one, disregarding the prescribed text of the order of Mass. That's number one. Disregarding the prescribed text of the order of Mass. Why would any priest do that? Because the Church is becoming Protestant, and priests feel the the freedom to be Protestants. I don't know why that happens. Um, And Dr. Um, Uh, who wrote this article, Johnson, goes on to say um, that this uh, particular abuse, that is, disregarding the prescribed text of the order of Mass, this particular abuse is perhaps the most widespread. You might think that the mere existence of a prescribed official order of Mass would be enough to show priests that they're not to change or improvise, but it's not. It is not uncommon to find lectors eliminating male, can you imagine? Lectors eliminating male references to God in the scripture readings or using the new revised standard version of the Bible or other um, inaccurate and unapproved ones for the readings. The new revised standard is not approved. It has inclusive language. The revised standard version is approved, but the new is not. 
This goes on to say, you sometimes hear priests changing the words of the Nicene Creed, omitting the word men in for us men and for our salvation. That's the most common violation. It's terrible, beloved. Or, or omitting the creed altogether, saying aloud the prayers to be said quietly, or generalizing them, in saying, for instance, Lord, wash away our iniquities and cleanse us of our sins instead of wash away my iniquities and cleanse us of my sins. Cleanse me of my sins. Terrible things here. He goes on to say, you hear priests changing the tense and thereby the sense of phrases like pray that our sacrifice is acceptable instead of what's correct, which is pray that our sacrifice may be acceptable. Or they'll say the Lord is with you instead of the Lord be with you. That's a sacrilege, beloved. We have no right, not including a priest, not a bishop, not the Pope, to change the wording of the Mass. And he says, you hear them inviting the congregation to join in prayers specified as the priest's prayer alone. On occasion, you even find priests winging it during the Eucharistic prayer. It's a sacrilege. It's so awful. And beyond the improvised words, you'll find a lot of flippant practices, like using blue vestments, blue vestments for Marian priests, or gingerbread for the Eucharist at children's masses. These are things too horrible, so horrible, so awful. And he says all of this is unlawful. Regulation of the sacred liturgy depends solely on the authority of the church, that is, on the apostolic see, and as laws may determine on the bishop. Therefore, no other person, even if he be a priest, may add, remove, or change anything in the liturgy on his own authority. And that comes from the Constitution on the sacred liturgy. And it's repeated in other documents. Deviations from the order are illicit. And when done uh, intentionally, they are they are grave offense both against the church and the faithful who have a right to an authentic liturgy. Okay? Beloved, this is not a time to go up there and act like the altar is yours, the sacristy is yours, the stage is yours, it's entertainment, it's all about you, dear Father. It's not. It's all about Christ, not about you, and not about us. It's about Christ. The second point here, um, okay, now the first point is disregarding the prescribed text of the order of Mass, and the second point is this, interrupting the Mass. How's that? The priest has no more right to interrupt the Mass from the sanctuary than you have to interrupt it from the pews. At the conclusion of Mass, the lector or priest may make general announcements for the information of the parish. That's specified in the order. But no one may stop the Mass to make announcements, give financial reports, or make pleas for funds. 
No one may stop the Mass for extra homilies, and certainly not for other activities that are themselves unlawful, like skits or liturgical dance. We're at the third point here. I think we're coming up on our first break, beloved. Let me just mention this is a short one. Omitting the penitential rite. This one is often misunderstood. A priest may choose to use the rite of blessing and sprinkling as given in the order, in which case he must omit the Lord have mercy. But a priest can never omit the penitential rite altogether, and he cannot give a general absolution during the penitential rite of the Mass as a substitute for individual reconciliation, nor can he do so during a communal penance service. There are other options available to the celebrant elsewhere in the order. The sign of peace, for instance, is optional. If he includes it, though, the priest is not allowed to leave the sanctuary to exchange it with the congregation. You see at the sign of peace, beloved, many priests coming down from the sanctuary, shaking hands, giving the sign of peace to those close to him, to the first row of worshipers. Uh, It's terrible. No priest is to leave the sanctuary to give anyone a greeting during Mass. Um, there's our break. Music, beloved, you won't be able to call in or text today but um, because it's pre-recorded. but we'll be back with you very, very soon, and we'll continue. Don't go away. I worked in pro baseball for a long time, and we play on Sundays. And it was an easy excuse. I took the easy out and just didn't go to Mass. Got caught up on that whole selfishness, that whole, you know, um, I can do it all. The times when I was struggling were the times I needed God the most. And now that uh, I've come back and accepted God, my world has completely changed. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org today. This Divine Mercy Reflection is from the Diary of St. Maria Faustina. In paragraph 1293, St. Faustina falls into a minor error she had resolved not to. She writes, I fell again into a certain error, and at this I felt such acute pain in my soul that I interrupted my work and went to the chapel for a while. I apologized to the Lord, all the more ashamed because of the fact that in my conversation with Him after Holy Communion this very morning, I had promised to be faithful to Him. Then I heard these words, If it hadn't been for this small imperfection, you wouldn't have come to me, humbling yourself and asking my forgiveness. I poured out a superabundance of graces on your soul, and your imperfection vanishes before my eyes, and I see only your love and your humility. You lose nothing but gain much. God's love looks beyond our weakness and sinfulness. In the humble soul, he sees only love and humility and pours out his graces. This Divine Mercy Reflection is brought to you by the Station of the Cross. The Liturgy of the Hours is prayed three times a day on the Station of the Cross at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. The Liturgy of the Hours is a meditative and efficacious way to foster habitual prayer. It is the daily prayer of the Church, prayed throughout the world by priests, religious, and laity. 
For details about each hour and more information about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved. Good to be with you on the Station of the Cross and LifeSite News. Uh, We're thrilled to be together, and as I mentioned earlier in today's program, this is a program that I pre-recorded for you uh, since I wouldn't be live to receive your phone calls and emails and texts on this Friday. So completely pre-recorded, but brand new for you, Um, and we're going over uh, the 10 most common liturgical abuses from an article written uh, by Dr. Kevin Orlin Johnson. It's on the Catholic Answers, Catholic.com website. It's very, very good. And um, we've been through the first three, actually. Number one, abuse disregarding the prescribed text of the order of Mass. Number two, interrupting the Mass. Three, omitting the penitential rite. Um, and number four, replacing or omitting the homily. That is amazingly an increasing problem. Um, And Dr. Johnson, who wrote this, says, a priest may omit the homily only on weekdays that are not holy days. On Sundays and holy days, he must give a homily. And again, it's all backed up with liturgical documents and such. It should relate the readings to one another, the homily, and indicate how their message can be applied to the lives of his parishioners. No priest can substitute announcements, financial reports, or pleas in place of the homily, nor add such things to it. Of course, the Holy See is not going to make a fuss if he takes a couple of sentences at the end of the homily to make an announcement, tell how much is in the building fund, Uh, or to mention a second collection. Nobody who is not a priest, deacon or bishop, can give the homily. Do you hear that, beloved? I know that there are parishes with lay people giving the homily. Uh, It's forbidden. It's a sacrilege. You may not do that. Uh, Whether there's a priest or not, a lay person, a woman, should not give the homily. Nobody who is not an ordained can give a talk or reflection even in place of the homily. Although some few groups like the Society for the Propagation of the Faith have a dispensation to speak on behalf of an order or mission at the time appointed for the homily, it is never permitted without that dispensation. Not even if he or worse she gives a short homily before the launching into the appeal. An ordained minister gives a homily structured on certain guidelines. That's it. Incidentally, he writes, he may not leave the sanctuary during the homily. So he's not leaving the sanctuary to walk all over the the parish floor. And number five, these are um, common liturgical abuses. 
Number five, it dictates posture. There are parishes where the ushers will ask you to stand when you are kneeling. I have not come across ushers asking us to stand where we're kneeling. I would not pay any attention to them. There are parishes where the ushers will ask you to stand when you are kneeling. Many churches are being built now without kneelers to discourage you from kneeling at all. This violates the law and does no honor to Christ nor to the martyrs who died rather than compromise the outward signs of their faith. But if the celebrant and his ushers cannot mandate your posture, the law can, and it does. Everybody at Mass is supposed to be uniform in standing, sitting, and kneeling, and there are universal rules about it. In this country, you are still required to kneel during the consecration. From after the end of the Sanctus until the great Amen, even if there aren't any kneelers, um, you are required to bow or kneel at the words by the power of the Holy Spirit in the Creed. You are required to genuflect when you pass the Eucharist, whether it's in the tabernacle or publicly exposed, um, I'm sorry, whether it's in the tabernacle or publicly exposed, except when in procession. And contrary to what you might see these days, the Eucharistic Eucharist tabernacle can be tucked out of the way. It should be placed in a particular, um, it, they should be placed in a part of the church that is prominent, conspicuous, beautifully decorated, and suitable for prayer. After communion, though, you are free to stand, sit, or deal as you choose. The sixth point of liturgical abuse, beloved, is dictating the manner of reception of the Eucharist. Now, I'm bringing this to you on Friday. I don't know that we are going to get through all ten. We might, but I would um, uh, urge you to call in on Monday with all your questions and texts from this, from what I'm reading today. Excuse me, I'm, I'm yawning. Number six, dictating the manner of reception of the Eucharist. Vatican II never mentioned receiving the host in the hand. But when some countries introduced the practice illicitly, Pope Paul VI surveyed the world's bishops to see if it should be allowed where it already existed, rather than suddenly oppressing reception in the hand the Pope granted to adult Um, I'm sorry, rather than suddenly suppressing reception in the hand, the vote, the Pope, rather, um, he granted an indult intended to let the practice continue for a time in those areas where an emergency um, already existed. Oddly enough, the bishops of the United States where the practice did not exist, asked permission of the Holy See to introduce it here. Even more amazingly, they got that permission. Still, universal church law does not permit reception of the sacrament in the hand. Listen to this, beloved. Universal church law does not permit reception of the sacrament, that's the Blessed Eucharist, in the hand, 
and John Paul II disapproves the practice, the indult of that allowed in specified, um, I'm sorry, the indult that allowed it in specified, um, let me let me give it a third try, the indult that allowed it specified that reception in the hand must not be imposed. Look at that, beloved. We're talking about reception on the tongue today not being imposed, and yet it's the norm which people don't know. We have no right to impose reception in the hand. And it goes on to say, absolutely no priest or extraordinary minister of Holy Communion may refuse to administer the Eucharist on the tongue. Your right to determine which lawful manner you use is stated in the germ, the general introduction to the Roman Missal. We're going to go to our break now, beloved. These are startling things to some, uh, but this is church law. These are rubrics. We'll be right back. Don't go away. This is Lavinia Spirito for Catholic Way Bible Study. In the 4th century, catechumens at the Easter Vigil would process through their first communion chanting Psalm 23. It turns out Psalm 23 is actually a catechesis of the gateway sacraments of baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist. He leads me besides still waters. We emerge from the still waters of baptism as new creations. You prepare a table before me. Once we are baptized into the church, the Lord lays out the banquet of the Eucharist to nourish us. And you anoint my head with oil. In confirmation, our heads are anointed with oil, and we are forever sealed and identified with the cross of Jesus. And finally, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The gateway sacraments we have received encourage us all the days of our lives to follow the path of holiness towards our Father's house. Catholic Way Bible Study. Peace, power, purpose. Find out more at cwbs.org. Often when confronted with the apostles' claim that Jesus rose from the dead, people ask if they made it up. And it's a reasonable question. So, did they? I don't think so. And here are a few reasons why. First, the early Christians had nothing to gain and everything to lose in lying about Jesus' resurrection, which makes their testimony credible. As Paul argues in 1 Corinthians 15, the only outcome for him lying is persecution and death. How does that serve as motivation for a lie? Second, the gospel writers include women as the first witnesses. This is a big no-no if you're trying to fabricate a story in first century Judaism. According to the first century Jewish historian Josephus, the testimony of women wasn't considered reliable at the time. So, there's one thing we can be certain of. The apostles weren't lying about Jesus' resurrection. I'm Carlo Brusord with a ready reason for Catholic Answers. Catholic.com Welcome back, beloved. This is Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross, brought to you live stream on LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. I'm thrilled to be with you. And as I've mentioned uh, earlier in the program, this is a pre-recorded program, not an encore. It's fresh for you, but um, I'm not here live. Uh, we pre-recorded this, so you won't be able to call in or text today, but you certainly can uh, beginning on Monday. Today is Friday. And we have been reading through a very good, helpful paper uh, from the Catholic Answers, Catholic.com website. 
and it is titled The Ten Most Common Liturgical Abuses, written 20 years ago, but they are the abuses today, and there is no new church law since this was written in 1999. These Everything Holds, written by Dr. Kevin Orland Johnson, Ph.D., and we took the first few. We spoke of disregarding the prescribed text of the Order of Mass as the first abuse, interrupting the Mass as the second, omitting the penitential rite as the third, replacing or omitting the homily as the fourth, and then we are on right now. Um, and we, no, we, we talked about dictating posture, and right now we are on dictating um, prominent, beautiful, decorated, um, no, I, I think we're on number five, dictating posture, and it says this. There are parishioners where the ushers, uh, there are parishes where the ushers will ask you to stand when you're kneeling. Many churches are being built now without kneelers to discourage you from kneeling at all. This violates the law and does no honor to Christ nor to the martyrs who died rather than compromise the outward signs of their faith. And before I finish reading this, beloved, I will tell you that no matter who, including the Pope himself, bishops, cardinals, priests, tell you to stand at the consecration, you kneel. That's God. And the Church orders us to kneel at the consecration. And no one, no bishop, no Pope, no priest, no one, no usher for sure, can tell us to stand instead of kneel at the consecration. If there's no kneelers, then we go on the floor. And if someone's elderly or physically incapable, then they can sit in their chair, at the edge of their chair, and just their body's in a posture of bowing. This goes on to say, but if the celebrant and his ushers cannot mandate your posture, the law can, and it does. Everybody at Mass is supposed to be uniform in standing, sitting, and kneeling. And there are universal rules about it. In fact, we had an email earlier this week on a similar subject, that people judge one another. You know, someone bows their head at the name of Jesus, someone kneels, someone, you know, as if we're, you know, judging one another. We're not to judge one another at all. But neither is it our own thing. It's not between us and Jesus. It's between us and the church through whom Jesus tells us what to do, what pleases him, what is worthy of his worship. And so everybody at Mass is supposed to be uniform in standing, sitting, and kneeling. And there are universal rules about it. In this country, you are still required to kneel during the consecration from after the end of the Sanctus until the great Amen, even if there aren't any kneelers. Um, you are required to bow or kneel at the words by the power of the Holy Spirit in the Creed. You are required to genuflect whenever uh, whenever you pass the Eucharist, or whether it's in the tabernacle or probably exposed before the altar. Hold on a minute, sweetie. I just, everybody, I just faded out. I could, I could feel that one. 
let me read this again. In this country, you are still required to kneel during the consecration from after the end of the Sanctus until the great Amen, not before, um, even if there are not any kneelers. You are required to bow or kneel at the words by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was made man. By the power of the Holy Spirit, um, he was made man. We are to ne- to bow at that, if not to kneel. At the Latin Mass, we kneel. At the Novus Order, we bow. You are required to genuflect whenever you pass the Eucharist, whether it is in the tabernacle or publicly exposed, except when in procession. And contrary to what you might see these days, the Eucharist um, the Eucharist tabernacle cannot be tucked out of the way. It should be placed in a part of the church that is prominent, conspicuous, beautifully decorated, and suitable for prayer. And in many cases, uh, beloved, that's the site of the church. But I and many, many others would always prefer that our Lord in his tabernacle is in the center. That's where he belongs, the center of our hearts, the center of the church, the center of worship. Um, After communion, though, you are free to stand, sit, or kneel as you choose. And number six, um, dictating the manner of reception. Vatican II never mentioned receiving the host in the hand. Listen to this, dear ones. We just have a very few minutes left. Listen to this. Vatican Council II never mentioned receiving the host in the hand. But when some countries introduced the practice illicitly, Pope Paul VI surveyed the world's bishops to see if it should be allowed where it already existed. Rather than suddenly suppressing reception in the hand, the Pope granted an indult. That's a shame. The Pope granted an indult intended to let the practice continue for a time in these areas where it directly... Hold on a minute. Oh, I'm so sorry. I think it's... it's um, I'm, when I'm recording this, I'm recording it. I'm, I'm with you in the morning, but I'm recording it on a very, very warm afternoon. And I think the heat and the humidity is, is uh, closing my eyes. Um, so let me, let me see where we left off here. Uh, Vatican II never mentioned receiving host in the hand. But when some countries introduced the practice illic- illicitly... Pope Paul VI surveyed the world's bishops to see if it should be allowed where it already existed. Rather than suddenly suppressing reception in the hand, the Pope granted an indult intending to let the practice continue for a time in those areas where it already existed. Oddly enough, the bishops of the United States, where the practice did not exist, asked permission of the Holy See to introduce it here in the United States. Even more amazingly, they got that permission. What a grievous thing. It could have been stopped right there. Instead, they were giving permission for really what has become a sacrilege. Still, universal law, universal church law, does not permit it 
does not permit reception of the sacrament in the host. Hold on now. Um, still, univer- still, universal church law does not permit reception of the sacrament in the hand. That's astounding, isn't it? And John Paul II disapproves of the practice. The indult that allowed it specified that reception in the hand must not be imposed. Absolutely. No priests. Um, absolutely no priest or extraordinary minister of Holy Communion may refuse to administer the Eucharist on the tongue. Your right to determine which lawful manner you use is stated in the general instruction of the Roman Missal. The chalice cannot be left on the altar for people to pick up a drink from, not even during lightly attended masses. The celebrant must the celebrant must distribute the sacramental literature. Oh, I'm so sorry. The celebrant must distribute the sacrament. Um, in fact, not the literature, but the host itself. In fact, you are not allowed to dip your host into the chalice. You have to take the cup and drink from it. There are places where intincture is used. That is where the priest takes the host he dips it in the precious blood and gives it to the communicant. There are other places where the communicant himself takes the host and dips it in the precious blood to receive it. That's an abuse. No uh, parishioner has the right to do that. And it says, by the way, as to Eucharistic ministers, it is important to note that they're not supposed to help distribute the sacrament routinely. Listen to this, beloved. As to Eucharistic ministers, and I will repeat, there's no such thing as a Eucharistic minister. There is an extraordinary minister of the Eucharist for extraordinary purposes. And so Dr. Johnson says, it is important to note that Eucharistic ministers are not supposed to help distribute the sacrament routinely. In other words, you shouldn't be signing up six people for every Sunday for every Mass. It should be for extraordinary circumstances. If only if there is an unusually large number of people at Mass or if they are sent to distribute extraordinarily outside of Mass as to the sick. They are not supposed to assist at all when a priest is in attendance. Do you hear that? They're not supposed to assist at all when a priest is in attendance. Their office has nothing whatever to do with increased participation by the laity. Their office, the office of priest, who is the only one to distribute Holy Communion, has nothing to do with the increased participation of the laity. And I mentioned before that in our own parish, there's no lay people distributing the... Well, there is in the Novus Ordo Mass, I have to say. I'm sorry that I have to say that. But in the Latin Mass, never. There, and, and also in Reverend Novus Ordo Masses, there's no such thing as an extraordinary minister of the Eucharist or extraordinary ministers. There are two priests in a parish. Where there are two priests or a deacon and a priest, 
One priest celebrates one Mass, the other priest celebrates the next Mass, and at the communion time, whatever priest did not celebrate comes and assists the distribution of the Holy Eucharist at the priest of the other Mass. The same thing. So there's always two priests distributing Holy Mass. Excuse me, it's not only always possible, but it's possible to arrange for a deacon or if needed, an extraordinary minister of the Eucharist. And I don't care if there's 300 people there. Two people is, this is not fast food. They should come to a kneeling rail. They should kneel and reverently receive the Holy Eucharist. And if they're not able to kneel, to make a profound bow. And people say that slows up the line. Please do. We're receiving God, not fast food. We're receiving God, and the focus should be on him, not on blessing people that are not receiving, not on even blessing children. (laughs) Excuse me for these hiccups. We're going to receive God. We should fall on our knees before him. I can't because I have bad, bad knees. If there's a kneeler, I definitely use the kneeler. But if not... I make a profound bow, 90 degrees. That is the norm of the church, beloved. Not a nod of the head. And we should receive on the tongue. That is the norm, not the exception. The exception is the hand. And I wish there were no exceptions at all. So, uh, beloved, we're coming to the end of the program. And... um, Excuse me for this hicc- these hiccups. They seem to come toward the end of every program. Um, uh, and so um, uh, I wish you all a very beautiful weekend. Um, and when you go to Mass, pay special attention to the Mass, special attention to the fact that you are going up to stand before God and receive him. Bow, beloved. Receive him on your tongue. Don't dare to touch God. In the Old Testament, if the people even dared to touch the mountain upon which God descended, uh, with Moses and the people, they'd be struck dead. They couldn't even touch the mountain. And we casually receive God in our hands and then handle him with our other hand. It's a sacrilege, beloved. Receive God in a reverent manner. It will help you to know that you are truly receiving God, and by His mercy in receiving Him, you don't perish. God bless you, and we'll see you all live on Monday.